Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Herald Scotland, brought to you by the volunteers of Cure & Review Recording Service, normally based at our studios at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre in Crowhill Road. You can find out more about our service at www.qandreview.com, that's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M. Currently, however, our volunteers are based, due to the lockdown, in their homes and are recording from throughout Glasgow, some in London and some in Ayrshire. So please bear with us as we put together this week's edition. The Herald, Wednesday the 22nd of April 2020. News. 102-year-old Glasgow care home resident TikTok dances. This article is by Jamie Shuttleworth. A 102-year-old care home resident in Glasgow has been showing staff how to dance on TikTok. Percy Mann, a retired policeman from Ipswich, has put a smile on the faces of the staff at Renaissance Care's White Craig's Care Home in Glasgow, showing them how TikTok videos are done with his daily exercise routine. Mr Mann performed with two of the care staff at the home, showing that at 102 years old, he still knows how to move. Percy, who is a father to 11 children, grandfather to 20 and great-grandfather to 16, said, I'm a bit of a fitness maniac. I played football for school and the boys' brigade, as well as tennis, and I still do my exercises every morning. The staff at White Craig's Care Home have been filming TikTok videos with the residents daily as a fun way to lift their spirits and keep them active during lockdown. They have also been sharing the videos with the residents' loved ones, helping to keep them connected while they can't visit the home. Mr Mann's family were thrilled to see him dancing away in high spirits. His youngest granddaughter, Claire MacLeod, 22, said, Initially we were worried about not being able to visit him. This is Percy he's talking about. As he is still so aware and was used to having a daily visitor. However, the staff have been amazing at keeping him moving as he's up and dancing every day. We've absolutely loved seeing his videos. It's funny that at 102, my granddad is more active on TikTok than me. He's such an inspiration to our family. We are so glad we get to share these moments with others and hopefully his moves brighten other people's days too. I'm 22 and he knows the TikTok dances better than me. Amanda Randu, Activities Coordinator at Renaissance Cares White Craig's Care Home said, The TikTok videos have been a great way to get the residents up and moving and they've loved taking part. We start filming them with the staff to keep everyone's spirits high and performed for the residents who find it hilarious. When we realised just how much they were enjoying it, we thought we would get them involved and it's been a lovely way to keep relatives connected. Renaissance Care operates 15 care homes across Scotland, employing 1,100 staff and looking after 700 residents. White Craig's Care Home in Glasgow caters to residents who have modest care requirements to those who need 24-hour nursing assistance. This article is by Jamie Shuttleworth. Recorded from The Herald, 23rd of April 2020. Aberdeen want time to assess options before SPFL opt to end Premiership season. Aidan Smith, sports writer. Aberdeen chairman Dave Cormack has urged the Scottish Professional Football League board to delay any decision on ending the Premiership season until his club have completed a feasibility study into completing the fixtures. The Dons voted for the resolution to end the lower three divisions and hand the SPFL board authority to do the same for the top flight 
but only after seeking assurances that clubs would be properly consulted. The letter came ahead of a UEFA meeting on Thursday, which might provide more clarity on whether the SPFL can terminate the Premiership campaign after the governing body paved the way for special cases to be heard. The prospect of fitting in the remaining eight rounds of fixtures took a severe blow on Monday when First Minister Nicola Sturgeon warned sport fans not to expect action to return any time soon. In a letter to the SPFL, Scottish Football Association and fellow clubs, which was also published in several media outlets, Cormac wrote, we urge the board to wait until a consultation can be informed by the outcome of our work. Cormac added, in discussions with colleague clubs, there appears to be a strong desire to at least investigate how we can deliver this while protecting, as far as possible, the integrity of season 2020-2021 commencement and the broadcasting and commercial commitments that go side by side with this. There are many reasons to explore solutions for fulfilling the remaining week matches, not least maintaining the sporting integrity of the competition, the fulfilment by clubs to their supporters of season ticket value, likewise club sponsors and partners, minimising the risk to our central broadcasting and sponsorship contracts, and finally, satisfying UEFA that our best endeavours have been made to complete our season and maintaining Scottish clubs' presence in European competition. Given the significance of all these issues, the future prospects of the SPFL's top-tier clubs and their ultimate survival, we are engaged on a piece of work which is designed to demonstrate the practicality, or otherwise, of holding games later in the year and the circumstances likely to be prevailing at that time in Scotland. Aberdeen set a point behind Motherwell in the table and had already travelled to Lanarkshire when football was suspended hours before they were due to meet their nearest rivals at Fir Park. The Herald, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020. News. Boris Johnson tells Donald Trump he's on the road to recovery. This article is by Michael Settle. I am feeling better and on the road to recovery, Boris Johnson has told Donald Trump in a transatlantic phone call. During the conversation, the Prime Minister and US President also reaffirmed their shared commitment to getting a UK-US free trade agreement in spite of the turmoil caused by the coronavirus. Earlier, Downing Street confirmed Mr Johnson, despite his recuperation, would hold his weekly audience with the Queen, albeit by telephone, later this week. He did the same last month before being hospitalised for the effects of COVID-19. His spokesman also confirmed the phone call to the President and that the PM was getting daily updates on the outbreak from Number 10. Last Friday, he had a two-hour meeting with his stand-in, Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary, at his official country residence in Buckinghamshire. But the spokesman insisted, Mr Johnson was continuing his recovery at Chequers and isn't formally doing government work. However, the fact that the PM is becoming more engaged in regular prime ministerial activities will lead to speculation that his convalescence could be coming to an end and that he might be back at his number 10 desk by next week. According to the White House, the PM told Mr Trump he was feeling better and was on the road to recovery. A spokesman explained, President Trump and Prime Minister Johnson reaffirmed their close cooperation through the G7 and G20 to reopen global economies and ensure medical care and supplies reach those in need. President Trump and Prime Minister Johnson also discussed bilateral and global issues, including our shared commitment to reaching a United States-United Kingdom free trade agreement. 
A Downing Street spokesman noted how the PM had thanked him for his good wishes while he was unwell. He added, The leaders agreed on the importance of a coordinated international response to coronavirus, including through the G7, which the US currently chairs. They also discussed continued UK-US cooperation in the fight against the pandemic. The leaders committed to continue working together to strengthen our bilateral relationship, including by signing a free trade agreement as soon as possible, he added. Number 10 said Mr Rabb would chair a meeting of the Cabinet on Thursday morning and stand in for him at a virtual PMQs tomorrow. Mr Johnson left St Thomas's Hospital in London on April the 12th, Easter Sunday, a week after being admitted. He spent three days in intensive care. This article is by Michael Settle. Herald Scotland on Tuesday, 21st of April 2020. Celebrities like Victoria Beckham should be paying up in the coronavirus crisis by Catriona Stewart. The Through the Keyhole pandemic special has certainly given rise to some entertaining sights. Sam Smith, the pop singer, posted some downcast photos of himself to Instagram, complaining that they were having a hard time in lockdown. It was a delight then to see them performing on Sunday night in the One World Together at Home concert from a living room that would comfortably accommodate my entire flat. Let me just interject here to say you may feel affronted at having Sam Smith's job title explained to you. However, I did see the BBC last week describe Sir Paul McCartney as Paul McCartney from the Beatles. So frankly, who knows who's who these days. Ellen DeGeneres in front of a picture window framing what looks like an expanse of parkland compared self-quarantine in her multi-million dollar mansion to being in jail. That's the same Ellen who's the highest paid comedian in the world, but whose crew from her talk show have complained about confusion over their payout and hours during lockdown. David and Victoria Beckham, brackets, footballer, uh, stroke, singer, come fashion designer, close brackets, also taking part in the One World concert organised by Lady Gaga, brackets, singer, close brackets, but described as being not a fundraiser but a morale booster and thank you to frontline emergency service workers, gave us a heartfelt speech in gratitude to health staff. That's the posh and becks who have furloughed 30 staff members from Victoria's fashion business at the expense of the public purse, despite being worth a combined £335 million. There's no justification for that action. It is sheer greed and sheer hypocrisy. One of the positives of this global crisis has been response. The mucking in from all quarters... From gin companies making hand sanitizer to local amateur sores making scrub bags and masks to secondary schools creating visors and their 3D printers. Local Facebook groups have sprung up to put community members in touch who, who can help each other out with shopping or medicines or lifts to the GP. Global craft projects have brightened up windows with rainbow posters and teddy bear hunts. It has been wholesome, good grassroots work that has highlighted the positivity and creativity of communities. While much of it should be unnecessary for a properly funded NHS and welfare state, it's still soul-soothing to see how people will activate and innovate in a crisis. But then there have been the celebrities. As detailed above, there have been those whose clangers are nigh on unforgivable. Then there are those who just want to use their talents to entertain the nation. Lads, we are entertained. You may stand down. I can think of three exceptions. Sophie Ellis Bexter, dancing round her kitchen under a disco ball, is nice, it's funny, she doesn't take herself seriously and her little son's behaviour encapsulates the mood of the nation. 
He tries very hard to show some enthusiasm before going for a defeated lie-down, yet he rises and carries on. One World, together at home, was eight hours long with only two highlights. Firstly, Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones air drumming in front of his LP collection, pretending to play the entire three minutes of You Can't Always Get What You Want. While other celebrities are busy showcasing their luxury mansions, Charlie couldn't even muster a set of drums. Finally, Elton John gave the Globe an unexpected giggle as he bashed out I'm Still Standing, Les Dawson style on a grand piano that somehow wound up in his driveway. We can only hope that whoever moves it back indoors maintains correct social distancing. At the end of the eight-hour playathon, One World Together at Home raised around £102 million. Elton John's worth about $500 million. Lady Gaga's is $275 million. Celine Dion boasts $800 million, while the Rolling Stones sit on $900 million. Let's not sniff at £102 million, but it's a drop in the ocean compared to the cash its celebrity performers have access to. At the other end of the scale, 99-year-old pensioner Captain Tom Moore's fundraiser has hurtled past £27 million and is still rising. Captain Moore's ambition to walk a hundred laps of his garden before his hundredth birthday has completely captured the public mood in a way no rich, gently patronising celebrity in a multi-million pound mansion currently can. The inequalities of rich and poor have been laid painfully and starkly bare. Gal Gadot, brackets, actress, close brackets, was the first whose attempt at home entertainment for the masses went horribly wrong. Her oddly smug rendition of Imagine by John Lennon of the Beatles with celebrity pals earned her pelters because of her assertion that we're all in this together. Some though are more in it than others, and famous people pretending to be generous from inside their mansions does nothing but highlight this injustice. By Catriona Stewart. Recorded from the Herald, 22nd of April, 2020. Celtic hero Stylian Pedro hailed after helping ex-teammate recover from coronavirus. Aidan Smith, sportswriter. Gabrielle Achbon Lahore has paid tribute to Celtic legend Stylian Pedro for helping him on the road to recovery after contracting coronavirus. Achbon Lahore was struck down with COVID-19 last month, describing the ordeal as one of the worst things I've been through. However, the former Aston Villa hero was able to count on the support of his ex-teammate Pedro with the inspirational cancer survivor dropping by to leave medical supplies and vitamins on Achbon Lahore's doorstep. He said, My good friend Stylian Petrov and his wife live about five minutes away and kept leaving stuff on my doorstep, vitamins and different things. I love Stylian, he's a good guy and I owe a lot to him. And my next door neighbour who was helping a lot as well. It was good to get over it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Agbon Lahore did not get tested for COVID-19, choosing instead to immediately self-isolate. The ordeal left him in little doubt that he had contracted the virus. He told TalkSport, It was a Sunday evening and I started getting these big migraines. And then over the next few days I was getting hot sweats in the night, fatigue, and then the cough came later on. This was all over the course of 10 days. It was all the symptoms of coronavirus, but I didn't get tested. I just kept myself indoors, kept myself in bed, and it went away after 10 days. It was nothing nice, it was horrible, one of the worst things I've been through, but luckily my body was able to fight it by itself. The Herald, Wednesday the 22nd of April 2020, News. Coronavirus, charity demands action as Scottish care home deaths more than double in a week. Age Scotland called for greater action to protect care home residents in Scotland as the number of COVID-19 deaths soared in the past week.
According to new national records of Scotland data, the proportion of deaths from COVID-19 in Scotland that have occurred in care homes has soared in a week from 1 in 4, 24.6%, to 1 in 3, 33%. There were 1,616 deaths registered in Scotland where COVID-19 was mentioned in the death certificates as of April the 19th. On the same date, the Scottish Government said there were 903 deaths. Age Scotland has now called for a redoubling of efforts to protect residents, as the latest figures reveal that the number of COVID-19 care home deaths more than doubled from 237 to 537. Nicola Sturgeon, in her daily coronavirus briefing, rejected the suggestion the Scottish Government was slow to react to the risk to care homes, but admitted that the authorities continue to learn daily about the threat from the virus. Some 384 care homes today have a current outbreak, where one resident has displayed symptoms in the last 14 days. It comes as it emerged that residents at two Aberdeen care homes have died with suspected coronavirus symptoms. Six residents at Kingswell's care home are believed to have died with symptoms of the virus. And the operator of the Fairview House Care Home in Bridge of Dawn confirmed that a number of its residents had also died after contracting the virus. Thirteen residents at a care home in Edinburgh are also understood to be among the latest victims of COVID-19. Four Seasons Healthcare confirmed there had been some deaths at Guthrie House Care Home in the southeast of the city. The company said it had strict protocols in place at all of its 187 homes in the UK. Now the leading charity for older people in Scotland has called for care homes not to be treated as second tier and called for more help, urgently needed, to give staff and residents the protection they need. Vulnerable residents should have fair and equal access to medical treatment and must not be written off if they contract the virus, the charity said. Age Scotland said this week had seen further devastating outbreaks in Scottish care homes, including reports of 16 deaths at a Dumbarton home and 13 in Edinburgh. The charity has said that progress has been made in recent days in terms of more access to the necessary personal protective equipment, PPE, and announcements of testing for all new care home entrants. Brian Slogue, Age Scotland's Chief Executive, said, In the last week we have heard about dozens of deaths in Dumbarton, Edinburgh and Aberdeen as the virus sweeps through homes in Scotland. It must be absolutely terrifying for residents, staff and families as they wonder where the next outbreak will be. These are not just statistics. Each one is a mother, father, grandparent, sibling or friend who will be deeply missed. It is so important that older people in care homes or who are receiving social care in their own home are given every opportunity to get the medical treatment they need to beat the virus and are not written off. Every person's life matters and many older people have made full recoveries with the right treatment. Decisions must be made on a case-by-case basis and any blanket policies based on a person's age or residence would be blatant discrimination. We urgently need to redouble efforts to protect the most vulnerable people and ensure that care homes are not treated as a second tier. Staff on the front lines must be supported with access to all of the life-saving equipment they need, as well as more widespread testing. Nicola Sturgeon has said she hopes to see a fall in the rate of deaths very soon, but points out that this will be the last figure to reduce after hospital admissions and admissions to intensive care. However, she stresses that the progress is fragile 
and encouraged the public to stick to the guidelines over social distancing. She rejected the suggestion that a new testing regime in care homes came too late, as it is as much as anything to provide greater assurance and certainty to residents and their families over whether or not they have had the virus. It does not change the clinical management of those residents, she stated. This article is unattributed. The Herald, Wednesday the 22nd of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. Forgotten construction industry calls for support. This article is by Alistair Grant. Scotland's construction industry has called for extra cash support amid claims it has been forgotten by ministers. The Scottish Building Federation, SBF, said a survey of its members revealed more than three quarters had seen all cash flow stop, while 95% had furloughed at least 80% of their staff. Despite this, the industry, which employs over 170,000 people and makes up a substantial slice of the economy, says it has received no specific support. Official analysis has warned Scotland's economy could shrink by a third during the coronavirus lockdown, with the potential for long-lasting impacts. Vaughan Hart, Managing Director of SBF, said most of its members have heeded advice to stop working to protect staff and the wider community. He said, We welcome the Scottish Government's second phase of funding, which includes a fund of £100 million to support businesses in financial distress due to COVID-19. Other heavily impacted sectors which were initially advised to close have rightly received significant support and other industries have now received bespoke support packages from the Scottish Government. Construction seems to have been forgotten, despite being one of the most crucial sectors to the Scottish economy. Our sector employs over 170,000 people and is 10% of the Scottish economy, but many of our members are struggling. They urgently need specific support from government if they are to survive the current crisis and be in a position to help rebuild the Scottish economy when it ends. The SBF said the retail, hospitality and leisure sectors have been designated heavily impacted and benefit from 100% rates relief as well as further grant funding. Its survey of more than 100 members indicated that only 36% of construction firms are eligible for the £10,000 grant funding offered through the Small Business Bonus Scheme, SBBS, and Rural Rate Relief, RRR. It found cash flow has stopped entirely at 76% of firms, while 71% want similar support to that offered to retail hospitality and the leisure business. The vast majority, 98% of sites controlled by SBF members, are closed in compliance with the guidance issued by the Scottish Government, with the remainder falling under the essential work category. Elsewhere, figures show retail sales have plummeted by 44% in the last two weeks of March 2020. This article is by Alistair Grant. The Herald, Thursday the 23rd of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. Death from COVID-19 results in over 10 years of life lost per person, Glasgow University researchers say. This article is by L. Duffy. Death from the coronavirus will result in over 10 years of life lost per person, according to new research from a Scottish university. A team of researchers at the University of Glasgow has taken analysis beyond the number of deaths and looked at how it will impact humanity in the long run. In an analysis published on Thursday, 
They say the number of years of life lost per person appears to be similar to diseases such as coronary heart disease. As most people dying with COVID-19 are older with underlying chronic conditions, some have speculated that the impact of the condition may have been overstated and that the actual number of years of life lost as a result of COVID-19 are relatively low, explains Dr David McAllister, who is leading the research team. This new analysis found that death from COVID-19 results in over 10 years of life lost per person, even after taking account of the typical number and type of chronic conditions found in people dying of COVID-19. Among people dying of COVID-19, the number of years of life lost per person appears similar to diseases such as coronary heart disease. They say this information is important, as it ensures governments and the public do not wrongly underestimate the effects of COVID-19 on individuals. The study reports estimated years of life lost due to COVID-19 before and after adjustment for number and type of chronic conditions. To conduct the research, the team took information from Italy on the age at which people with COVID-19 died and the number and type of chronic conditions they had. Their report, published in Welcome Open Research but not yet peer-reviewed, states Among patients dying of COVID-19, there appears to be a considerable burden in terms of years of life lost, YLL, commensurate with diseases such as coronary heart disease or pneumonia. This article is by L. Duffy. The Herald, Friday the 24th of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. Glasgow's Transmit Festival cancelled. This article is by L. Duffy. Glasgow's Transmit Festival has become the latest big event to be cancelled due to coronavirus. Bosses made the decision after comments made by First Minister Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland's daily briefing yesterday, where she said any large events in the near future are unlikely to go ahead. DF Concerts say they are working with all the artists' teams to try and get the 2020 lineup as close to this year's as possible, and an update will be provided in the next fortnight. A statement read, We did not want to take this step, but it is unavoidable. The health and safety of our fans, artists, staff and community will always be our top priority. Lewis Capaldi, Liam Gallagher and Courtenayers were just a few of the acts preparing to take to the stage on July the 10th to 12th this year and bosses hope they'll return for the event next year. It is not all bad news for fans however as the event will go ahead next year on the weekend of the 9th to the 11th of July. Ticket holders will be able to either hold on to tickets and carry it over to next year's festival or request a refund. Ticket providers will be in touch soon and anyone planning to attend is asked to check for an email. The statement continued. Transmit would not be the amazing festival it is without you, our amazing audience, so we thank you for your support. Stay at home, practice social distancing and stay safe. We will be back next year to celebrate like never before. See you all then. This article is by L. Duffy. The Herald, Thursday the 23rd of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. Holyrood faces budget challenges as taxes fall. This article is by Tom Gordon. The Scottish Government is facing particular challenges balancing its books after the coronavirus crisis, despite £3.5 billion of immediate Treasury support, the budget watchdog had said. The Scottish Fiscal Commission, which sets the envelope for Holyrood's budget, warned devolved tax revenues would be heavily affected as the lockdown hits the economy. Although there will be no immediate impact on the 2020-21 to budget, 
any shortfall will have to be fixed through a so-called reconciliation to the budget of 2023-24. However, the Scottish Government may struggle as it only has limited borrowing powers under the framework that governs its finances. Finance Secretary Kate Forbes said the report underlined the need for Holyrood to have more fiscal levers and greater borrowing powers at its disposal. The UK government is planning to borrow £225 billion from bond market investors in just four months to fund its extra coronavirus spending. But the Scottish government can only borrow £300 million to help smooth out budget reconciliations, which are usually caused by wayward tax and spending estimates. In its new update on the 2020-21 budget, the Commission said the combined effect of the Scottish Government's spring budget deal and the UK budget on the 11th of March would be an increase in spending of £247 million in Scotland in 2020-21. The Scottish Government would also receive £3.5 billion from the UK Government as part of its share of extra Treasury spending to tackle the COVID-19 crisis. SNP ministers had been expecting to raise £12 billion in income tax this year, more than a quarter of the £40 billion budget, but this is now expected to slump as workers lose their jobs and salaries shrink through furloughs. The Commission said the lockdown would also reduce business rate income as firms went bust and fell into arrears, land and buildings transaction tax as house sales fell, and landfill tax as waste and recycling services ceased. At the same time, spending on some devolved benefits would increase as take-up rates rose through the crisis and more deaths meant more funeral support payments, although more old and sick people dying would also reduce spending as claims are ended earlier. However, the Commission said it would not publish any detailed forecasts, a key part of its job in normal circumstances, as the impact of lockdown was so unpredictable. It said... We do not know at the moment how long the lockdowns in Scotland, the UK and around the world were last. It is possible that the lockdown restrictions could be eased and then tightened again. The extent to which the economy returns to normal, people are able to return to previous jobs and demands for goods and services rebound to previous levels will determine the long-term effects of the crisis on our economy. For these reasons, we are not providing updated forecasts. Fiscal Commission Chair Dame Susan Rice said, In the light of the changes since our last forecast, today we are providing an updated perspective on the current Scottish budget position. The Scottish Government is required to broadly balance its budget and has limited scope for borrowing and using its reserves. Given the uncertainties about the level of funding and the spending required to respond to the crisis, this may present some challenges. SNP Finance Secretary Kate Forbes said, the COVID-19 pandemic is having severe economic consequences for people across Scotland and the government is doing everything we can to mitigate that impact. The Scottish Fiscal Commission's report highlights the particular challenges faced by the Scottish government due to uncertainty over the funding levels from the UK government and required spending levels in Scotland. The current global situation proves yet again that we need more fiscal levers, including an increase to the limits on our borrowing and reserve powers to manage Scotland's public finances effectively. This article is by Tom Gordon. The Herald, Wednesday the 22nd of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. Hospital death toll breaches 1,000 as 1,800 discharged. This article is by David Ball. Scotland's confirmed death toll for COVID-19 in hospitals 
is now more than 1,000 after Nicola Sturgeon said 77 further deaths had been registered. Speaking at her daily media briefing, the First Minister said there have now been 1,062 confirmed deaths in the country where patients have been tested and diagnosed with the disease. As of last night, there are 1,776 people in hospital, a decrease of 90 from the previous day, while 155 of those patients are in intensive care, a decrease of 11 from the previous 24 hours. In more positive news, the First Minister confirmed that 1,813 people who have tested positive for coronavirus have been discharged from hospital. Ms Sturgeon said the reduction in hospital admissions was really encouraging and cause for cautious optimism. But the weekly statistics compiled by National Records of Scotland show there have been 1,615 deaths registered where COVID-19 was a contributing factor, with around one-third from care homes and including presumed deaths. This article is by David Ball. The Herald, Thursday the 23rd of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. How many deaths are linked to obesity and poverty? This article is by Helen McArdle. Worldwide statistics on COVID-19 indicate that if you are male and over 70, you are substantially more likely to die from the infection. That comes through clearly in the latest National Records of Scotland data, which indicates that nearly three quarters of coronavirus deaths have occurred in people aged 75 or older. More than half, 55%, were in men. At the beginning of this month, the World Health Organisation noted that this was an important observation for Europe, which is home to 29 of the world's 30 oldest populations. Japan is the other one. It may go some way to explaining why Belgium, Spain, Italy, France, the UK, Netherlands, Switzerland, Sweden and Ireland, in that order, currently have the highest death rates per head of population in the world from coronavirus. Italy, which has the highest proportion of citizens over 80 in Europe, 6.5%, has recorded 408 deaths per million population compared to 150 per million in Ireland, which has the lowest percentage of over 80s in Europe, 3.1%. Spain, France and Belgium also have an above average proportion of over 80s in their population. Worldwide, more than half of all deaths from COVID have occurred in patients aged 80 or older. However, there is clearly much more than just age at play. The UK's population is comparatively younger. Just 4.8% of our population is 80 or over, compared with the 5.3% average for Europe. But so far, our COVID mortality rate is 261 per million. By contrast, Greece, where 6.3% of the population is over 80, has recorded just 116 deaths in a population of nearly 11 million. As the WHO also noted, it is becoming clearer that the healthier you are before the pandemic plays a crucial role. Aging itself is associated with decreased immune function, but older people are also more likely to be living with at least one chronic condition such as diabetes or high blood pressure. It may be this correlation itself, rather than age alone, which is increasing the group's vulnerability. Beyond age, one risk factor of particular significance to Scotland is obesity. Researchers in Italy were among the first to observe this trend, noting that when admissions to intensive care were analysed, comorbidities 
play a significant role, but not always. In one hospital, a high percentage of overweight and obese ICU patients was observed. This has been picked up again and again in Europe and also the United States. In the UK, the Intensive Care National Audit and Research Centre, ICNARC, which covers England, Wales and Northern Ireland, found that three quarters of critically ill COVID patients were overweight or obese. Similarly, a study of 4,103 seriously ill COVID-19 patients by New York University showed that obesity was the second biggest risk factor after age for becoming seriously ill as a result of the virus. This does not bode well for Scotland, which has the highest rates of obesity in Europe. Currently, Scotland's death rate from the virus is around half that of England's, but this is probably due to factors including lower population density, lockdown having been implemented at an earlier stage in our epidemic curve, and perhaps even higher compliance with social distancing. None of it can be put down to being a healthier population. As well as obesity, Scotland has some of the highest rates of heart disease, diabetes, alcohol consumption and smoking in Europe, all linked to an increased mortality risk from COVID. It underlines why a second wave could be particularly dangerous for Scotland. Deprivation is also the great untapped statistics in this crisis. At the weekend, an anonymous ICU doctor in Scotland wrote that a disproportionate number of the COVID patients they had treated came from lower income families. As things stand, we do not have statistics to back that up, but it would be likely for two reasons. First, like age, deprivation tends to correspond with high rates of chronic disease, as well as obesity, smoking and heavier alcohol intakes. Second, people from these backgrounds are more likely to do jobs which might expose them to the virus, such as being hospital cleaners, home carers, bus and taxi drivers or supermarket workers. It may be no coincidence that Greater Glasgow and Clyde, known for its deeply ingrained deprivation, has by far the highest death rate from COVID in Scotland. Ethnicity also overlaps with deprivation, virus-exposed occupations and some health factors such as higher rates of diabetes in people with South Asian heritage. In Scotland, we have none of that data either. Beyond age, we really do not know who is bearing the brunt of COVID in Scotland. This article was by Helen McCardle. The Herald, Thursday the 23rd of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. Lockdown may be eased and reimposed repeatedly. This article is by Alistair Grant. Gatherings in pubs and elsewhere are likely to be banned or restricted for some time to come. The Scottish Government also warned lockdown restrictions may be eased and then reimposed repeatedly with little notice until a vaccine or treatment for coronavirus is found. It said the damaging effect on poverty and inequality from COVID-19 may be profound. The information is contained in a new document outlining the framework Scotland will use for exiting the lockdown. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon said the decision the country faces will not be easy. In a foreword to the document, she added, the challenge and necessary change that lie ahead of us will require us to adapt how we live our lives. The new paper says ministers are likely to require that gatherings in groups, for example in pubs or at public events, is banned or restricted for some time to come. It adds, and good hand hygiene and cough hygiene must become fundamental habits. We cannot afford to have exceptions. 
Each one of us will have to adapt to this as a new normal, at least until we are sure that we can be more protected by a vaccine or treatment. If, after easing any restrictions, the evidence tells us we are unable to contain the transmission of the virus, then we will have to reimpose them, possibly returning to lockdown with little notice. While we will do our best to avoid this, it is possible that such a cycle may happen more than once until we reach a point where we have in place an effective vaccine. The document warns easing restrictions will not mean returning to how things were before the virus. It adds, Physical distancing, hand hygiene and other critical behaviours will be essential in each sector. We will engage with experts in each sector to understand the practical consequences, for example, of what physical distancing would mean for schools and education, transport, business and recreation. The capacity of business and industry to innovate to find different ways to function will be critical here. It says ministers will take distinctive decisions for Scotland if the evidence tells us that it is necessary. Options for varying the restrictions include full and partial lifting of existing measures. Variations by geography, by sector or by specific groups of the population could also be introduced. The document says COVID-19 causes harm in at least four ways. The first is the direct and tragic harm to people's health, while the second is the wider impact on Scotland's health and social care services. The third is the harm to society, including the effects of isolation and the impact on children's well-being from closed schools. The last is the enormous impact on our economy, with a potential fall of 33% in GDP during the period of lockdown. The document adds, this is unprecedented and is causing deep uncertainty and hardship for many businesses, individuals and households. The damaging effect on poverty and inequality may be profound. Closures and job losses have been inevitable, even with the unprecedented support provided by government. And the impacts will intensify the longer the lockdown continues. We will see more businesses unable to recover and we risk the scarring effects of unemployment. The risks of increasing hardship and increasing poverty are real. This in turn risks damage to the health of the population. We must do everything possible to avoid permanent structural damage to our economy. This article is by Alistair Grant. The Herald, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. SNP MSP says COVID-19 could have a positive impact. This article is by Tom Gordon. An SNP MSP has said coronavirus could have a positive impact on the death rates from other diseases. Kenneth Gibson suggested the lockdown could cut the transmission of more familiar killer infections such as pneumonia and flu. The Cunningham North MSP floated the idea at a scaled-back sitting of Holyrood as it met for the first time since the Easter recess under strict social distancing measures. He asked Health Secretary Jean Freeman... According to National Records of Scotland, 3,400 people died from contagious diseases in Scotland in 2018, including 364 from influenza and 1,670 from pneumonia. Does the Scottish Government have any information yet on the lockdown's positive impact on reducing the number of deaths from infectious diseases other than COVID-19, such as pneumonia and influenza? Ms Freeman replied, no, we don't have detailed information on that yet, although it will be a very interesting piece of information that we do have. 
We do have some indication that some of the infections that generally arise because we don't wash our hands well enough are declining. That should be a spur to us all to continue to pay attention to that really important public health message about washing our hands. This article is by Tom Gordon. The Herald, Friday the 24th of April 2020. News. Coronavirus. Nicola Sturgeon criticises Donald Trump's dangerous disinfectant comments. This article is by David Ball. Nicola Sturgeon has labelled Donald Trump's comments suggesting people should inject disinfectant as COVID-19 cure as an extremely dangerous idea. The US president suggested that perhaps disinfectants could be injected into people, saying the virus does a tremendous number on the lungs, so it would be interesting to check that. The First Minister was asked about Mr Trump's comments at her daily media briefing, but warned that the suggestion is a very, very bad idea and extremely dangerous. She stressed that leaders have a responsibility to give accurate advice and warned about repeating ideas that they have perhaps completely misunderstood. Ms Sturgeon said, It is clearly not the case that ingesting disinfectant in any way, shape or form is a good idea. It is a very, very bad idea and extremely dangerous, she added. I'm really keen that we have an open discussion with the public and the politicians, and usually perhaps are prepared to admit things they don't know as well as share their thinking on the things that we do know and are trying to work through. But the responsibility on leaders is not to stand up at a public platform and repeat things that you have perhaps half heard and perhaps completely misunderstood and present that to the public in a way that the public might act on and that could be dangerous. None of us are perfect and we will all make mistakes in this, but I think we all have to remember that very serious responsibility when we're giving advice to the public. It must be good advice informed by the best science. National Clinical Director Professor Jason Leach said that he would never need to advise decision makers that injecting or consuming disinfectant was a bad idea. He said, I can be absolutely certain that I don't need to advise the present First Minister that injecting disinfectant into your body will be no help for coronavirus. I can categorically say, and it is genuinely a serious point at times of non-coronavirus and coronavirus, that disinfectant is for surfaces, not for bodies. He added, There is, however, research going on all over the world, some of that involving drugs, some of that involving vaccines, and some of that involving disinfectant-type things for surfaces and on other parts of our infrastructure. They are interesting. Scotland is involved in many of them, and we're certainly watching what happens around the world. This article is by David Ball. The Herald, Friday the 24th of April 2020. News. Coronavirus. Nicola Sturgeon. Lockdown exit will be more challenging for police enforcement. This article is by David Ball. Almost 5,000 groups have been dispersed by Police Scotland for not following social distancing guidelines. As Nicola Sturgeon said, enforcement will become more challenging for police as some restrictions are lifted. Justice Secretary Humza Yousaf said that the majority of people are complying with the rules and instructions of officers, as he outlined updated enforcement statistics from March the 28th to April the 22nd. Police have closed 27 premises in Scotland, while officers have carried out 3,646 complaint dispersals and 1,009 dispersals after a warning. 
A total of 1,637 fixed penalty notices have been issued to members of the public, while 112 people have been forcibly taken home. Officers have arrested 78 people for failing to disperse. Mr Yousaf said, I must emphasise that these have been the minority of interactions. The vast majority of interactions, we have seen people comply with the regulations and with the instructions from Police Scotland. I speak regularly with the Chief Constable of Police Scotland and I am reassured and pleased to report that compliance with regulations remains very high. Nicola Sturgeon insisted that one reason why the Scottish Government has been open about its thinking towards an exit strategy is to ensure the public understand why restrictions are being imposed on them. She said, It will always be a concern that every day that passes, people find it harder and harder to comply with these restrictions. I'm finding it harder to not see my family and comply with some of this. If you live in a big house with a garden, this is a much different experience than if you have to live in a flat with three children and not much space to move about. This is really, really tough, but people need to know why we are asking them to do it, which is why I think compliance has been so high. She added, My judgment and my estimate here is that if we continue to be open and frank with people about the reasons for these restrictions, then people will continue to comply because they know it is in the wider interests and their own interests. Where I think we and any government will run into difficulty is if we are asking people to do things that people don't understand why and they are not necessarily convinced that it's the right thing to do or that it's having the desired effect. That's another reason why I'm so keen for this discussion to be as open and frank as it can possibly be. The First Minister admitted that the message to the public inevitably gets more complicated as the strategy moves into a phase where we may be lifting some things but not others. She added, Right now the message I have to give you every day is to stay at home unless you go out for essential purposes. If that message suddenly becomes a little more nuanced, we have to take more care in how we get that across and obviously that becomes a more challenging thing for the police to enforce as well. If we stop doing it, we're very quickly going to run into something a lot worse than the numbers I'm giving about hospital admissions and intensive care admissions and people dying from this virus are going to start up again very quickly and very steeply. None of us want to see this happen, which is why we must keep sticking with this right now. This article is by David Ball. The Herald, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020. News. Coronavirus. Scots told to give up cigarettes and reduce alcohol from lockdown diet. This article is by David Ball. Scots have been urged to give up smoking and cut down their alcohol consumption in a bid to reduce complications linked to coronavirus. The country's interim chief medical officer, Dr Gregor Smith, has called on people to cut their intake of alcohol and tobacco during the lockdown to reduce the likelihood of becoming more unwell if they contract COVID-19. Dr Smith has called on the public to enjoy a balanced diet during the lockdown. He said, Now more than ever, it's important that we all take the steps possible to look after ourselves. Eating well, staying active are really important for both our physical health and our mental well-being. Eating a balanced, healthy diet, which includes a variety of different foods, will help ensure that you get all the essential nutrients and energy you need throughout the day. Food's an important part of our daily lives and something that many of us enjoy. Dr Smith has said he understands 
Many have found it tempting to turn to cigarettes or alcohol during this time of stress, such as the lockdown is. He said, This is a stressful time for people. Sometimes when we feel this way, we use substances like tobacco or alcohol more than we usually do. We know that both these habits can be harmful, particularly in relation to coronavirus. Evidence suggests that smoking may contribute to the severity of COVID-19 disease. We know that people who smoke are much more likely to experience other respiratory infections such as flu. Please, if you can, try to cut down or even stop your smoking. If you continue, please remember to wash your hands before and after so that there's less opportunity for the virus to spread. He added, alcohol can also reduce the immune system's ability to fight off infectious disease and also have an impact on your heart and your lungs. Choosing to cut back on how much you drink may reduce some of the complications linked to coronavirus. This article is by David Ball. The Herald, Friday the 24th of April 2020. News. Coronavirus. Thousands order home testing kits within minutes of government website launch. This article is by Hannah Roger. Thousands of people have flooded the online portal for ordering coronavirus testing kits. Within minutes of the UK government's website going live, the daily allocated number of kits had been ordered by eager members of the public. It comes after the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, last night announced that all key workers in England would be eligible to apply to be tested from this morning. He said that up to 10 million key workers would be able to be tested. However, this was later clarified as the total number should Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland's governments also expand the remit of those who could be tested. A spokesman for the Prime Minister confirmed that within two minutes of the testing website going live, all 5,000 tests had been ordered for today. He said, within two minutes of the portal opening this morning, 5,000 testing kits had been ordered. And that's the available capacity for today. He added that up to 18,000 testing kits would be available per day by the end of next week, while 15,000 tests are expected to be carried out at drive through centres across the country today. Westminster officials have ramped up testing as they try to meet their goal of carrying out 100,000 tests a day by the end of this month. According to Downing Street, capacity for tests is now over 50,000. However, at the last count, in the 25 hours to 9am yesterday, only 23,560 had been done across Scotland, England and Wales. Boris Johnson's spokesman also confirmed that there were no checks being carried out on the people who were applying for home testing kits to determine if they were actually key workers. Instead, he said, the government were trusting that those asking for tests were eligible. He explained, as with many other aspects of the coronavirus response, we would expect the public to respond in good faith. That is what they have done with other aspects of the scheme. I think we'd expect it to be the same here. This article is by Hannah Roger. The Herald, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020. News. Coronavirus. Trials of UK vaccine to become on humans in two days. This article is by Hannah Roger. Trials of a UK vaccine to fight the coronavirus are to begin in humans in just two days. Scientists at Oxford University are to start testing their COVID-19 jab in 18 to 55-year-olds in the first phase of clinical trials on Thursday after recruiting more than 500 volunteers over the past three weeks. 
It means the UK is now the third country in the world to begin human trials, following America and China in a race to find a viable immunisation against the deadly virus. Matt Hancock, the UK Government Health Secretary, made the announcement this evening during the daily press conference in which he also announced that Oxford University would be given £20 million towards the vaccine's development. Imperial College London, which is also working on a vaccine, is to be given £22.5 million as it begins phase two of its pre-clinical trials. Mr Hancock said, In the long run, the best way to defeat coronavirus is through a vaccine. This is uncertain science, but I'm certain that we will throw everything we've got at developing a vaccine. The UK is at the forefront of the global effort. We have put more money than any other country into the global search for a vaccine. And for all the efforts around the world, two of the leading vaccine developments are taking place here at home, at Oxford and Imperial. The Health Secretary said he was throwing everything at vaccine development and would back the scientists working on a jab to the hilt while confirming a further 852 people had died from the virus since Monday, bringing the UK death toll to 17,366. In Scotland, another 70 people have succumbed to COVID-19 overnight, with the country's total number of deaths relating to the virus standing at 985. Mr Hancock added that normally it would take years to develop a vaccine, but in the event that either the Oxford or Imperial College solutions work, the UK government said it was also investing in manufacturing, so it can be available for the British people as soon as humanly possible. He said, The upside of being the first country in the world to develop a successful vaccine is so huge that I am throwing everything at it. Coronavirus is a powerful enemy, but I believe that the power of human ingenuity is stronger. In the meantime, there's one thing that you can all do, and that is to stay at home to protect the NHS and save lives. The development comes following this weekend's announcement that 21 projects, including one at the University of Edinburgh, would share a £14 million research fund to help track the progress of the pandemic in almost real time. The university's Usher Institute will be working on a project using anonymised electronic health records from 1.2 million Scots, as well as processing blood samples and swabs. The Health Secretary also defended the government's provision of protective equipment, PPE, following reports that some firms who had offered to help had been ignored by Downing Street. He said more than 8,000 firms had come forward to offer support and 159 potential UK manufacturers were being worked with to provide the essential kit. The Minister was also challenged on the claims that failure to join the EU's PPE procurement scheme was a political decision, as opposed to previous statements that the government did not receive the invitation to join on time. A top Foreign Office civil servant was reported to have revealed that Westminster actively declined the invitation. Mr Hancock said, When it came in to the Department for Health, and I know there's been debate about whether it was sent to the wrong email address, but the invitation to participate in the scheme in an associate way, because we're not members of the EU, came to me for a decision and I said yes. Having said that, as far as I'm aware, this scheme has not yet delivered any PPE. He said the impact of the scheme on the UK's stock of PPE was zero and explained that's the long and short of it. The impact of this on our ability to deliver PPE is zero. There is no impact at all because the scheme has not yet made anything available.
This article is by Hannah Roger. The Herald, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020. News. Coronavirus in Scotland. SNP Minister's U-turn over care home testing. This article is by Tom Gordon. All new care home residents are to be tested for coronavirus after SNP ministers bowed to opposition pressures to adopt the measure. Health Secretary Jean Freeman announced the U-turn in a statement at Holyrood on greater safeguards for care homes. It came less than a week after Nicola Sturgeon repeatedly rejected calls to test potential care home residents, arguing it could undermine other infection control measures. Ms Freeman also apologised to personal assistants employed directly by people receiving care, admitting they should not have struggled to secure personal protective equipment. She said there was no reasonable explanation for the problems they had encountered and said she would ensure the situation was remedied later today. On care home testing, she said, COVID-19 patients discharged from hospital to a care home should have been given two negative tests before discharge. I now expect other new admissions to care homes to be tested and isolated for 14 days in addition to the clear social distancing measures the guidance sets out. She said the extra level of testing, which comes on top of a standard two weeks of isolations for new residents, would provide assurance for families with relatives in care homes. All symptomatic care home residents are already testing for COVID-19. US states now test potential care home residents to catch any asymptomatic carriers of the infection. Ms Freeman also announced that public health directors would take on a greater oversight role in relation to care homes to ensure any shortcomings in infection control were fixed. She also announced a new national rapid action group to help with the clinical oversight of care homes, most of which are run by independent providers. Last week it emerged a quarter of 962 deaths up to April the 12th in which COVID-19 had been implicated had been in Scotland's care homes. However, the First Minister refused calls from the Tories, Labour and Lib Dems to test all potential care home residents. She said last Thursday, As my advisers tell me, whether one resident, five residents or all residents have been tested, once it has been established that the virus is in a care home, it is infection prevention and control measures that are important. In the case of new residents going into care homes, it is important that testing is used appropriately, but that we do not run the risk of its giving false information. Testing is reliable only when a person is showing symptoms. If somebody is tested before they are showing symptoms and tests negative, that does not tell us for sure that they are not in the incubation period and will not develop the symptoms of the virus in the days ahead. Scottish Liberal Democrat leader Willie Rennie said, The introduction of tests for all new residents is a very welcome step and is a significant development in the last week. When I questioned the First Minister last week on this issue, I understood that testing was not treatment and may not always be accurate and that homes need to adopt the strictest of standards for all new residents. Yet tests for all new residents alongside all the enhanced health support and oversight for care homes will give the much-needed confidence for all residents and their families that everything that can be done is being done. This article is by Tom Gordon. The Herald, Tuesday the 21st of April 2020. News. Couple die within a day of each other after contracting coronavirus. This article is by Jamie Shuttleworth. 
A couple from Fife who were married for 57 years have died of coronavirus within a day of each other. William Sharp and wife Maureen, both aged 74, were taken to the Victoria Hospital in Kirkcaldy on April the 5th after contracting coronavirus, but died the following week. The couple, who got married when they were just 17 years old, celebrated 57 years of marriage on Hogmanay. The couple lived in the Fife village of Oakley, near Dunfermline, and leave behind two daughters and four grandchildren. Their daughter, Yvonne, 53, said, Dad hadn't been feeling well for about a week. Mum was quicker within a couple of days. She added, They got taken to hospital on Sunday, the 5th of April, and Mum died on the 8th of April, and Dad died on the 9th of April, less than 24 hours apart. Yvonne described her parents as great people and very family-orientated, adding that it was difficult to grieve alongside her sister Linda due to the current lockdown restrictions in place across the UK. Avon said, I never thought it would be my own mum and dad. This shows that this virus can happen to anyone. She said, this is just the worst thing ever. After this is all done, we've decided that we're going to have something at the cemetery again and then a big celebration afterwards for them both. They don't deserve just six people at their funeral. They deserve better than that. I feel that the community is in shock right now. I never thought it would be my own mum and dad. This shows that this virus can happen to anyone, she added. Mr Sharp was a lifelong supporter of the village's junior football team, Oakley United, and the club paid tribute to him. A committee member said, It is very, very sad. The football club is gutted that this has happened to both him and his wife. It is a tragic loss. We are heartbroken that we'll never see Vic at any of our matches again. When it happens to someone you know in the village, it really sends the message home that it can happen to anyone. Everyone at the club would like to express their sympathies to the family right now. This article is by Jamie Shuttleworth. The Herald, Friday the 24th of April 2020. News. Dettol manufacturer forced to urge public not to inject disinfectant after Trump coronavirus comments. This article is by L. Duffy. People have been warned not to inject or consume disinfectants after comments made by the US president suggested they may be able to help combat coronavirus. RB, the company behind the Dettol and Lysol brands, have had to directly appeal to people across the world after Donald Trump's comments at his daily White House briefing. He is facing a backlash after suggesting it would be interesting to check whether a disinfectant injection could help in the fight against coronavirus. During his latest press conference, Mr Trump said researchers were looking at the effects of disinfectants on COVID-19. Wondering aloud if they could be injected into people, he added the virus does a tremendous number on the lungs, so it'd be interesting to check that. RB issued a statement saying, Due to recent speculation and social media activity, RB has been asked whether internal administration of disinfectants may be appropriate for investigation or use as a treatment for coronavirus. As a global leader in health and hygiene products, we must be clear that under no circumstance should our disinfectant products be administered into the human body through injection, ingestion or any other route. It added that all its products should only be used as intended and according to usage guidelines. In response to Mr Trump's comments, William Bryan of the Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Unit said health officials were not considering such treatment. 
Parasto Donnier, Director of Pharmacy Practice and Professor of Social and Cognitive Pharmacy at the University of Reading said, What is shocking about these latest comments is that they completely bypass other important facts about injections too. Not only will homemade injections bruise, burn or block the veins, they will almost certainly also introduce new infections straight into the body, the very things people are desperate to avoid. People worried about the coronavirus or COVID-19 should seek help from a qualified doctor or pharmacist and not take unfounded and off-the-cuff comments as actual advice. This article is by L. Duffy. From the Herald Scotland's published on the 24th of April 2020, DevRo delays dividend payment and precautionary move by Kirsty Dorsey, business correspondent. Meat casings manufacturer DevRo is delaying payment of its final dividend for 2019 and has cut all discretionary spendings to share up its business against any ill effects from the COVID-19 outbreak. In what the Glasgow headquartered company described as a precautionary measure, DevRo said it is withdrawing the proposal for a 6.3 pence share final dividend from the resolutions being put forward at its annual general meeting on April 30th. This will result in cash savings of approximately £10.5 million. Based on the board's current knowledge, it intends to pay an additional interim dividend of the same amount in the second half of 2020. The company said in its latest trading statement, the board will keep this under review as the COVID-19 pandemic unfolds. The company, which employs more than 2,000 people at locations across the Netherlands, Czech Republic, Australia, China, the US and the UK, said all of its sites remain in operation as it strives to service customers in the global food supply chain. Devrah also noted that it is not currently taking advantage of any coronavirus government support schemes in the UK. Some of the company's suppliers have in recent weeks experienced disruption in their end markets, leading Devro to act decisively to secure raw materials. This resulted in some price inflation, which is it is trying to mitigate through cost savings. Additionally, Devro is cutting all discretionary capital and operating expenditure in response to COVID-19. Despite these difficulties, the company said its balance sheet remains strong, with approximately £59 million of cash and and undrawn borrowing facilities. Net debt currently stands at £138 million. Sausage casing and similar edible collagen volumes rose by 2% in the first quarter of 2020, compared to the same period a year earlier. This was led by an increase of 13% in emerging markets, with strong growth in Latin America, Russia, East and South Asia. Southeast Asia. North America continued to grow, but mature markets as a whole were down by 3%. This was due to destocking by distributors in Europe, plus weaker demand in the UK and Ireland during January and February. Absent any negative impact from COVID-19, Devro said its previous guidance for good progress in 2020 remains unchanged. That article, as we said, was by Kirsty Dorsey, business correspondent. Recorded from the Herald, 22nd of April 2020. Ex-Rangers boss Alec McLeish backs Hearts bid to avoid relegation via reconstruction. Aidan Smith, sports writer. Alec McLeish is backing Hearts bid to avoid relegation via reconstruction because he believes it would strengthen Scotland at international level. Jambo's owner Anne Budge is leading the fight for a league revamp. But if she fails to gain enough support, it looks likely the Tyneside Castle side will drop down into the Championship. 
The former Hibs, Rangers and Scotland boss does not want to see one of the nation's biggest clubs slip out of the top flight. But he is also convinced an expanded top flight would ease the pressure on the league's best players and boost the nation's chances of tasting success at international level. He said, It would be terrible for Scottish for the Scottish game to lose the big clubs. We need the big clubs in the league. I know that Hearts haven't performed, so people will say they deserve to go, and some people will say we must keep them. I feel we've got to expand the league, that's my opinion. I'm not sure how many people will agree, but I certainly feel that for us to improve in the Scottish leagues, we've got to keep the big clubs alive, the clubs with the big supporters. Yes, it's got to be on merit, but I think there's too much pressure on the Scottish game and the Scottish clubs, and that's one of the reasons why we haven't done so well in international football as we should be doing. We've lost a lot of players, the Bosman era, you name it, we've suffered every which way, but there's a wee chink of light and I'd say expand the league and make it bigger. Don't leave the sword hanging over all of our clubs. From day one to the end of the season, they're playing under a hell of a pressure. Meanwhile, McLeish admits he does not envy the job of the game's administrators as they bid to navigate a way out of the coronavirus pandemic. The Aberdeen legend had a spell as manager of Jink in Belgium, but it's unsure whether Scotland should follow the Tripler Pro League and end the season prematurely and declare Celtic champions. He added to PLZ Soccer, I know the Belgians gave it to Bruges and nobody has really followed suit. It seems bizarre that in, I don't know, five years you're going to ask who scored the goal that won them the title. I don't know what they're going to do. They must be in a real fan call, the authorities all over the world, as to what they do. You're listening to the Herald Scotland recorded on Thursday 23rd of April 2020. Obituary Davy Souter Member of Clyde team that finished third behind Old Firm in 1967 An article by Jack Davison Footballer, born March 30th 1940, died March 11th 2020 Davy Souter, who has died aged 79, was a versatile Scottish footballer who played for several clubs throughout the 1960s. He was most associated with Clyde, then in the old First Division, for whom he played for six seasons from 1964 onwards. The high point was being in the side which clinched third place in the league behind the old firm in 1967, an outstanding achievement for a part-time team with a small squad. During that season, he played in several positions. As a measure of the quality of the Shawfield outfit, that was of course the year when Celtic became the first British team to win the European Cup, while Rangers lost in the final of the European Cup Winners' Cup in extra time. Shortly before these finals, Clyde had held both Celtic and Rangers to draws, the former in a Scottish Cup semi-final and the latter in a league game. In the cup tie, Souter received praise for his handling of Jimmy Johnston, a player he admired. One press report referred to him as stout of heart against the elusive Johnston. In April 2014, that Clyde team, including Souter, was inducted into the club's Hall of Fame at a function in Glasgow. A modest character, he had to be persuaded to attend, but thoroughly enjoyed meeting up with old teammates. One of them, Dick State, now Sir Richard for services to education, 
recently commented, Davy was a quiet, reserved type of bloke, easy company in the dressing room and one who did his talking on the pitch. He was always a real presence on the field and his immediate opponent knew he had been in a game. David Souter was born at home in Belfield Avenue, Dundee, to parents John and Mary, nay Smith, and had three older brothers, Ian, Norman and Bill. Their father was a train driver who died when Davy was 14. He attended Logie Secondary School in Dundee, where he showed promise at football. After school, he undertook an apprenticeship as boilerman stroke plumber while still playing football. Aged 17, he was signed by junior side Carnoustie Pamur and in 1958 joined Arbroath before brief spells at Berwick Rangers and East Fife. In 1962, he rejoined Arbroath, then managed by John Prentice. During the 1964-65 season, Prentice, by then Clyde manager, took him to Shawfield where he remained until 1970 always in the top division. That summer he signed for Dundee, where he was again reunited with Prentice. Cartilage problems bedevilled his time at Dens, letting him play only 12 games for the Dark Blues and bringing down the curtain on his professional career in 1971, after more than 200 games, mostly in the top tier. As a player, he was always part-time while working in engineering-related jobs. Latterly, he was janitor at in Inverbrothcock Primary School in Arbroath. While playing for Arbroath, he met Doris Johnston, a waitress in a local hotel, and they were married in 1965. They enjoyed a long and happy marriage during which they lived mostly in Arbroath and had four children, Jackie, Debbie, Leslie and David. Doris, who died a year ago, latterly had health issues and Davy spent much of his time caring for her. A warm and supportive family man, he enjoyed following football on television, walking and reading. He is survived by his children and six grandchildren, Heather, Ben, Jessica, Sophie, Morgan and Lily. You're listening to The Herald Scotland, recorded Monday the 20th of April 2020. Opinion by Marianne Taylor. A kinder world on the other side? The last recession brought us Brexit and Trump. Amid the gloom, shards of light shine bright. The nurses, doctors and care workers going to extraordinary lengths to treat the ill and dying. The nonagenarians lapping gardens and climbing stairs to raise money. The rainbows in windows and Thursday night claps. All this raw humanity is precipitating talk of the kind of society many say they want on the other side of the pandemic. One that recognises, financially and in terms of dignity and status, the part played by so-called unskilled, read low-paid, workers in keeping society going. A kind of society is certainly a fine aspiration. So is a fairer, more equitable one. But if either is to be even attempted, never mind achieved, we're going to have to change drastically. 
politically, economically and psychologically, and we're going to have to learn lessons from the past. After all, the last big crisis we faced, the financial meltdown of 2008, led to a hardening of attitudes that resulted in Brexit and Trump. When coronavirus hit, we were only beginning to get a handle on the complex reasons people supported either of these two abominations. Why electorates around the world are voting for populist leaders and causes in their droves. My worry is that the fear, poverty and austerity that fed Brexit and Trump will go into overdrive during and after coronavirus, fuelled by even bigger lashings of all three. Look at the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis. While bankers and their shamed institutions got off scot-free and were bailed out by taxpayers, the super-wealthy made a killing off the back of it and were allowed, even encouraged, to avoid taxes. Ordinary folk took the hit, with Tory chancellors repeating the mantra that there was no option but to endure the pain. Jobs were lost, wages were frozen, working conditions obliterated, pensions and savings wiped out, families were torn apart, homes were lost, people killed themselves. The gap between the haves and the have-nots grew exponentially, as did suspicion between the groups. Austerity was used ideologically. The lifeline public services we rely on were stripped of funding and politically expedient bogeymen were created to explain the decline. Immigrants, refugees, the undeserving poor. Both Brexit and Trump succeeded because they tapped into the blame culture that flourishes when people lose hope. Populist slogans give desperate people something to hope for. The coronavirus pandemic is going to draw a new and more prominent line between haves and have-nots. And it's going to take more than kindness to heal such a divide and prevent an even more dangerous descent into populism, one that could define us for decades to come. How can we avoid this? Honestly, I don't know. But what we certainly must not do is repeat the mistake of having the poor and just managing take on the burden yet again. The short-term packages of help created so far by the UK government suggest Boris Johnson and his ministers are willing to come up with new and flexible policies to keep the economy going. But as delays and the number of people, businesses and sectors slipping through the cracks highlight, much more targeted support is needed in the short, medium and long term if we are all to be in this together, the new ministerial mantra. Radical action is needed to keep the population financially and psychologically supported and it's hard to see how the deserving and undeserving, skilled and unskilled narratives of only a few short months ago will be acceptable to the electorate now. Surely we're looking at big tax hikes for the wealthy and super rich to keep public services afloat. Even a Conservative government may be unable to avoid such a necessary move and it will be interesting to gauge public reaction if and when wealthy celebrities and business people threaten to move abroad when it happens. Previously unthinkable ideas such as the universal basic income may also find their way onto the agenda. After the Second World War we rewarded the stoicism and sacrifice of the nation 
with the health service that's working so admirably now to get us through the biggest crisis the country has faced in generations. This is the type of visionary thinking required to prevent division and help us feel part of something bigger, maybe even make us kinder. Does Mr Johnson and his government have the talent and vision to think in such terms? We're about to find out. Well, that completes part one of the Herald Scotland for the weekend ending Friday the 24th of April 2020. So if you'd love to hear more from us, why not uh, go back to CastBox and listen in to part two.